You're listening to the Redemption Hill Church podcast from Tallahassee, Florida. For more information, visit our website at rh-church.com. Hey, Pastor Chad here. I'm so glad you've taken the time to listen. We're currently studying verse by verse through the book of Acts. Among other things, we'll see the mission, the persecution, and the expansion of the church. Now, time for this week's message. Stuff. All right, so if you guys have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, open up to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Um, we'll have the words up on the screen here in just a moment. Um, but we do have some Bibles at the back. If you, if you don't have a Bible, you'd like to you'd like one. Um, if you just raise your hand, Dennis can get one for you for sure. But, um, and if you don't have, have a Bible, it's yours to keep. So, um, as you all know, we, we typically, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. That's how I kind of operate. I'm not one of great creativity. And so usually when it comes time to like naming, uh, giving a, a message, a title, it's Acts chapter 15, 1 through 21. <laughs> or whatever, right? And so, you know, and so I was wrestling with that this week, and I was like, you know, Lord, I, I mean, I, I want to I get creative. I want to think about this. And, and on our journey, as we've gone through this, last week we talked, it was, last week was a huge, like this chapter is a, this is like a huge, I can't, I can't overstate this enough. Like this is a huge chapter in the foundation of the church, the foundation of our faith. And, um, Acts chapter 15, the first 21 verses that we covered last week, we talked about my absolute favorite topic in all of Scripture, that's grace. We talked about how um, that our salvation, we get our salvation 100% through a grace of Jesus and God and a faith in Him. It's not by any works. We don't have to do anything to obtain it. There's, there's no, it's not based on our efforts. It's not based on what we do. It's, it's 100% based in Jesus and Jesus alone, which is awesome. And, and what had happened, it had crept in this, this teaching that the Bible kind of calls them Judaizers, had, had come into Antioch, and they'd come from Jerusalem, come into Antioch, this new church, it's a Gentile church, and we've kind of covered this before, you know, at, back in the Bible times during this age, you have basically two people groups, Jews and Gentiles, Right? And the two did not like each other. They, on both sides, there was no love lost. Neither one of them liked each other until Jesus arrives. And when Jesus comes on the scene, there's this bridge, and it all comes together in this beautiful picture. And so you see these churches. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter has this dream about going to the Gentiles and just Tell them about Jesus, and this, this barrier begins to come down. And, and so it's pretty awesome. Well, well, things are going great. Gentiles are coming to the Lord. Paul and, and, and uh, Barnabas, we, we spent like two chapters going on their first missionary trip. I mean, incredible stories, awesome things happening. Most of those conversions are all Gentiles. And so they get back home. They're back in their home church in Antioch. And all of a sudden, these teachers from Jerusalem, which, again, at, at this time, kind of Jerusalem isn't, functioning like it was. It's no longer really the, the big um, sender. Antioch is becoming like the, the new kind of hub for the church. But tradition and, and a lot of the apostles and all those, they're still in, in uh, Jerusalem. So when somebody from the Jerusalem church came, like it held water, like they would listen. It would be like today if we had some big traveling 
I don't know, like Billy Graham, although he probably doesn't travel much anymore. I don't really know who the big person is. But if, if he came and he started to speak, we would just sit and listen and be like, wow, this is good because it's Billy Graham, right? And so that's what, in those days, like when somebody from Jer- the Jerusalem church would come, like it was, and, um, and so they were coming and, and basically what's happening is, is, and they're believers, they believed in grace, but it was grace plus, and their big thing was circumcision. Now, I told us last week, let's not focus in on this medical procedure because all it was was it was an, it was an outward action that was supposed to signify an inward decision, right? And so in some regards, we can, we can almost use it like baptism. It's a symbol, right? When, we, when somebody gets baptized, it doesn't save them. Like it's just it's regular water. I mean, there's nothing holy about the water. When we do baptisms, we go to a lake, and that water is definitely not holy. Okay, there's all sorts of stuff in there, right? But I mean, it's just water. And, and when they do it, I mean, it's a symbol. It's a symbol that they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, um, and, and that they want to live for Christ. And they want everyone to know it. And so, circumcision was kind of the same type deal, but it was a ceremonial law going all the way back to to Moses. And so these Judaizers came into the church in Antioch and said, listen, yes, it's, you're saved by grace, but you have to be circumcised. You have to do what we do to really become a Christian. And, and so this debate takes place. And so Paul and, and Barnabas, they head up to Jerusalem to kind of debate this thing out. And last week we talked about, they came to this resolution that, okay, it, it is salvation by grace. Like they don't, we don't need to put this burden on them. And we ended like last week, again, in Acts chapter 4. 15, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who's, who's really the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, he, he stands up, and this is from last week. He says um, that um, in verse 13, he says, Brothers, listen to me. Um, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people of his name. And then he goes back, he quotes some Old Scripture, Old Testament, to back what he says. And then he goes, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Okay, and so basically what he says is like, okay, listen, um, this, this, it's the salvation, the doctrine of salvation, it's, it's through grace and faith in Christ alone. That's it. And it's not a but, like that, that part is boom, it's, it's this, this is what salvation is. But, then he, but, but James goes, but here's some stuff that would, would help. Like if you Gentiles who, who don't have this like background, who, who, like if you could do this, this would help the situation. And so this week I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, so um, maybe we should title this um, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And so, you know, I, one of the things I, I really, I, I enjoy, like, graphic arts and, and doing slides and stuff like that. And so, so, John, maybe here's the first one. This is what I first thought we would go with. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. These are crocheted, I guess, is that the right term? Shorts. Like, you can wear those, but you probably shouldn't, right? Especially fathers, like, you want to embarrass your daughters? Like, I'm going to get a pair of those when Mackenzie starts dating. <laughs> when they come to the door, I'm going to be wearing a shotgun and those shorts. <laughs> They're going to be all sorts of scared. All right, so there's, there, then I thought that one, no. But then I thought this one, here we go. This is a Krispy Kreme bacon cheeseburger. Okay, 
So again, just because you can doesn't mean you probably should. Now, this, the next few are like all just rednecks. Like, you see, this is a slide from someone's swing set on a ladder going into a pool. Like, you can do that, but it's probably not going to end well, right? So just because you can doesn't mean you should. I think they get better here. Like, this is a hot tub. I wouldn't go in that hot tub. I mean, just because you can potentially convert a pool into a hot tub doesn't mean you should. And then this one, we've got the last one. I might do this one. This guy decided to take the grill inside the pool. And so I guess he can swim with the hamburger grease. So just because you can doesn't mean you should. So I thought about going that way, but here's where we landed was liberty and love. Liberty and love. Let's read Acts chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 22 through 35. So starting in verse 22, it says, And then it seemed good to the the apostles and the elders with the whole church, to those men from among them, and send them to Antioch with Paul, Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with them, or with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers, who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we have Although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Verse 29, or verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that that as we just spend the next few moments looking into your word, as we look at this topic kind of bouncing off of last week's message about grace and Lord how thankful we are for your grace and your love Lord that that you have allowed us an opportunity to gain salvation not by anything that we have to do but not by some magic formula not by by works or, or, or anything like that Lord you've taken away the worry you've taken away the stress you've taken away all the work and you You did it, Lord. 
Jesus, you did it when you died on the cross for our sins. And then you rose again three days later. Lord, it's a, it's a marvelous gift. It's a, a, a gift bathed and made in grace. And so, Lord, uh, it's, it's so great that we can rejoice in, in a salvation based upon that and that alone. And this morning, Lord, I pray that as we, as we just spend some time together looking at this, we don't want to diminish grace. This isn't a grace plus. But Lord, now as we take the grace, we walk away or we, we, we transition away from the law, we transition into love. And the idea of grace and love, how that looks with this, this newfound liberty, this newfound freedom. So Lord, I pray that you just make your word come to life. May it be the, the centerpiece of today. May everything that we do, everything that I, I say come from your word. Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, take away all the distractions. I pray that we have life change today. I pray that you challenge us, that you convict us, that you move us. Lord, may we, may we listen to your prodding and respond. Jesus, I pray that you give me your heart, give me your words, give me your passion. May all that we do and all that we say bring honor and glory to you. It's in your son's beautiful and precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. And so last week, as I said, they, they, the group came to this, this decision. You know, the council, they debated it back and forth. It's a beautiful thing. You had disagreeing um, beliefs, but yet they come together and they, they, they talk it out and they come to a conclusion, they all come to the same agreement. Okay, and, and they say, okay, listen, it is saved by grace. And we're not going to put any other burdens on people. We're not going to put anything, as, as James said last week, as we talked about it, we're not going to put this law of Moses, this, this thing around their neck, this weight around their necks that we can't even keep, or our fathers weren't even able to keep. So if we can't keep it, our fathers weren't able to keep it, why do we expect them to do it? That's crazy. And so it's not that. But then they come back and they say, but listen, also, here's the deal. We, we want unity. We, we want love. And, and with this idea of grace, like Gentiles, it's, it's kind of this idea of meeting in the middle to a certain extent. It, it has nothing to do with the salvation. The salvation is secured. But, but James says to these new Gentile believers, like, but here, here's something. And, and I love in, in this Verses, I think, 28 and 29 is where the actual letter is read. But, but as, as the letter um, ends in verse 29, he says, if you keep these things, you will do well. The Jerusalem church didn't say, if you do these things, you will be saved. Okay, so this is important. Like, again, if you are a person like me that likes to write in their Bibles, underline that phrase, like, you will do well. Underline that. This isn't a salvation issue, okay, but this is a unity issue. And what's interesting is, you know, the church back then is, is maybe not a whole lot different than what we are today. You know, at least us in a church plant mentality. Like, we, we spend a lot of time focusing on a family here, right? We talk family. You know, we, we don't go by 
congregation. We go by faith family. We do activities where we try and include like the whole family. We have a service day, right? Where we're all going to come together, young and old, right? We're going to do that. A lot of times when you come to our youth activities for our teenagers, it's not uncommon to see younger kids, younger siblings there. Um, we had a lock-in um, Friday night. I wasn't there for all of it, but the part I was there for, it was so cool because we had several of our youth, our teenagers that came and they're helping the group and the kids play the game. They had this amazing race game and they were helping them navigate through it and, and do it all. After they got done with the game, they swam for a while and then they did this time of devotions where the, the teenagers that were there shared with them um, like their favorite verses and why it was their favorite verses. And, and Courtney was texting me and she's like, and then they had this Q&A afterwards. And these kids are asking the questions and the youth are, are answering them. And it's so cool to see like this, this thing where you have these little kids looking up to the teenagers and these bridges that are built there. And, and the last, last, along with this week, Wednesday night, if you were here Wednesday night, our youth, we had Justin. Where's Justin at? Justin over here, Justin Mishler, one of our college kids, um, is here for the summer. And Justin led a Bible study with the youth. And um, how cool is it? Because, you know, Justin and Sarah and, and Taylor and some of our college kids, when they're back, they're here. And D, we'll do a D now, probably like February-ish. And they'll typically come back with the counselors. And our youth so look up to them. And so for, them, for Justin to come and, and that evening just kind of share what God's doing. I mean, it's, it's cool when they're out there playing dodgeball. But to me, it's even better when they sit down and they open their Bibles and they say, listen, this is, this is good. Thursday night, um, Sarah Lane came and did a, a Bible study with just the girls. It was a girls' night. And I, Courtney sent me a picture, and they, were, they sat in a circle up here eating cupcakes and reading the Bible. And Sarah, again, is like investing in them. And it's, how awesome is that? It's incredible. And, but like the same things kind of, like we'll do like get-togethers, right? We get together and like whenever it's not like a formal setting, it's usually centered around food, isn't it, with us? I mean, it's in some way, shape, or form, like we have food involved. It must be the person planning these activities. I don't know. But, but we just do life together, don't we? We just talk, and we eat, and we laugh, or we cry, and we, we share what's going on. And, and, and so back in this time as a church, the church has functioned the same way. Like it wasn't just this we're here for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and then show up again for an hour on Wednesday night and this is what makes a church. That's not what, I mean, scripturally, like that's not a church. That's not the picture that Jesus was painting when he talks about the church. I mean, he's talking about like it's 24-7. And for a church to be 24-7, that means it doesn't all operate in these four walls. But they would get together, they, they would have fellowship, they would, they would eat, they would laugh, they'd cry, they'd do all those things. And so what happens here, though, is all of a sudden you have this one group that, like, from birth and, like, generationally has been trained that this is a type of food that we're not supposed to have. We're not supposed to partake in this. If we do, then, then we're unclean. Okay, that's, that was their conviction. Then you have another group, the Gentiles, like, that's not their conviction, they don't share that. They weren't brought up that way. The, the law was foreign to them. And now they come together. And what James and the church in Jerusalem is saying is like, Gentiles, like, for the sake of unity, for the sake of love, give up that stuff. 
Don't hold on so white-knuckled hard to these foods. And you know, today, like, some of this stuff is, we, we, we start talking about, like, strangling animals, and are we, most of us don't go to Publix or shopping and say, hey, was that chicken strangled? Just, like, that. so some of this seems foreign to us, right? But let's, let's try and bring this to, to where we are, like, today. Like, how, how does this, how do we take this passage and not just blow through it because we think, well, this doesn't apply to me, this doesn't apply to me, this doesn't apply to me. One of the things I want us to, as, as goofy as the slides were with the, the different things, but that statement, I think, is, is so critical to us in our faith journey. The idea is just because we can doesn't mean we should. Paul will say this in several other passages. I mean, this idea of the food and, and different liberties will show up in Romans. It shows up in the letter to the Corinthians. It comes up time and time again. And, and some of his stances soften and he tries to redirect things. But here's, here's, here's where I think typically we find ourselves today. Like we find it where, where um, we have these freedoms. We deserve these freedoms. It's my right to have these things. And so you deal with it. And we see that in all sorts of shapes and sizes. I mean, I think in, in this, like this time of, of, of the season where we are, like in, with uh, elections coming up, right? I mean, like two weeks ago, you had the Republican National Convention. Last week was the Democratic Convention. And then what ends up getting breeded in all this stuff is like, we hate you, we hate you, we hate, right? It's not, like all the speeches were like, He's an idiot, and then she's an idiot, and that's all it was, wasn't it? For those of you who watched, I, don't, I didn't watch all of it, but it seemed like everything I turned on was how stupid they are, and then how stupid they are. And how if you vote this person in, it's going to be a catastrophe, and if you vote this person in, it's going to be a catastrophe. Side note here. As Christians, we need to vote. We need to vote, I believe, biblically. Um, but here's the deal. God is sovereign. God is in control. I mean, in the book of Romans, Paul tells us that God's the one that puts the leaders in place. <laughs> okay? Sometimes I think we, we breed this mentality that if so-and-so is elected, then all hope is lost. The world ends tomorrow. And you know what we're saying at that point? That that person whomever it is, is more powerful than God is. And I think we vote, I think we live in an amazing country that gives us those freedoms and those abilities to do it. We should engage, we should be involved, we should vote biblically and all that kind of stuff. But even if the candidate of our choice doesn't win, listen, God's still in control. I mean, if you read the Bible, something with my follow-up, I said, you read the Bible, you read about what's going on during the book of, when Paul's writing the book of Romans and he's telling people to be subjected to their government. Like, it was not um, a good environment for the church and for Christians. Like, Nero was crazy, crazy, crazy. As, as crazy as you may want to think Donald Trump is, like, he pales in comparison to Nero. Like, they were crazy, crazy people. God's still in control. I digress here. It's not a political talk. 
But, but what happens, I think, is like we, we, we hold these rights like white-knuckled, like I'm not giving up. It's their deal. If it's their problem. They need to get over it. And that's not biblical, and that's not what's being taught here. As the church comes together, it's amazing because there's this argument over circumcision. Paul and Barnabas come back home, and they bring two people from Jerusalem with them, and they have this letter, and they read it to the church. And they tell them, okay, listen, we're not going to put this weight of circumcision on you, but you would do well if you don't do these other things. If you don't eat these particular foods and if you don't get involved sexually in, in sexual immorality. If you don't do that, it would do well. It, would, it, it will help all of this. And what's interesting is as they read this, as they receive this, it tells us that the people rejoiced. So they don't have to do this, but there's still kind of some restrictions. There's still some burdens placed on them, but they rejoice. They're, they're excited. They're happy for these things, these restrictions. To us, that seems kind of weird. I, I, I saw this letter the other day, and it, it helps, us, helps me maybe understand that typically when we get stuff, it's all in the perspective in which we look at it, right? So uh, this, this young lady was in college, and she wrote her parents a letter. It says, Dear Mom and Dad, I just thought I'd drop you a note to clue you in on my plans. I have fallen in love with a guy called Jim. He quit high school after grade 11 to get married. About a year ago, he got divorced. We have been going steady for two months and plan to get married in the fall. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, and although I'd like to finish college sometime in the future. And then they turned the page over, and it says, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that everything I've written so far in this letter is false. None of it is true. But, Mom and Dad, it is true that I got a C- minus in French and flunked math, and it is true that I'm going to need some money for my tuition payments. Right through that lens, like if she would have just straight up said, hey, I got a C-, minus and I flunked, and I need more money, like Mom and Dad are probably going to be pretty upset, pretty hot, aren't they? But if they go into it thinking, my daughter just dropped out of school to marry a guy that dropped out of school when he was in 11th grade, <laughs> like I can settle with bad, bad grades and a little bit more money, right? And so kind of in that same, like, like the, the Gentiles, as they're reading this, they're, they're like, oh, wow, great, that burn's not there. When we can live with this, we, we, we can do this. And see, kind of what's at play in, these, in this kind of, Debate going back and forth has been this idea of, of, of the law and then of, of liberty or of, of, of not having to abide by all these restrictions. And see, the hard part with the law is the, the law is, is going to strangle us. The, the law is going to create an emphasis on guilt. There's no way possible for somebody to be able to keep the law. The reason, the purpose for the law was to, to point people to understand that. That was to allow people to see that I can't do this. I'm, I'm failing. I'm wrong. I can't abide by the law. And so they'll get their sins forgiven and they'll turn to Jesus and then the, the law goes away. So that was the purpose of the law. But now all of a sudden you have this other group and it's like, well, yeah, but there's these things that help, help keep us in check. And now these people don't do anything except believe in Jesus and they can do whatever they want. 
And you guys know that like this, this debate still takes place today. Most of us that are, are, are grown probably in our church um, history growing up, if we were brought up in church, we've been part of maybe churches that were very legalistic. Like it's boom, boom, you can do this, this, and this. You, you have to wear a, a shirt and a tie, and, and you have to, you know, no, no women are, evolved, are allowed on the stage unless they're in a choir, or you ladies that wear dresses, or whatever it might be. You can only listen to this kind of music, you can only do this kind of thing. And then you can go on the other side, and it's all like liberty, liberty, liberty. Like there are no rules, and it's, it's crazy. And sometimes those who are over here on the, the legalism side, it's like, well, listen, if, if there's no rules and they can just do whatever they want, it's going to go crazy. And, and these people are going to abuse grace. And here's, here's, the, here's the secret. Will people abuse grace? Yes. We all, every one of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, at some point in your life, have abused grace. We all have. We all will. We're not perfect people. But here, here, this is what's so, I think, important and critical for us as believers is this. Because I think sometimes, and this is where it gets tricky, and, and as we talk with people and we, we, we go to share our faith with people, and sometimes one thing we get, we get concerned about, we get worried about is this idea of like, well, they don't want to listen because, because the view of Christianity is you're not allowed to do this, this, and this. It's all about what we can't do instead of what we can do, right? And that's the focus. You guys, here, here's the deal. We, we don't need to focus on what we can't do. Where we place our focus in is on the grace of God. You guys remember last week? As we talked about grace, I shared with you um, an enormous verse. Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that was God's grace. Like when we were running from God, when we're doing everything we can against God, out of his love, out of his grace, he put his son on a cross for you and for me. That's grace. That's love. See, what we have to focus in on as believers is this. It's not what we have to give up. It's who we have to trust in. And as we trust in Jesus, as we learn to love Jesus, then naturally things in our lives come to light. There's things in our lives that we have to maybe make some changes. Maybe there's some things in our lives that we do give up. But at that point, when we become passionately in love with Jesus, giving up those things, at the end of the day, aren't really that big of a deal. But we hold tight. We think of all these things we have to get up. We, have, we can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this. And the answer is, the solution to the problem is we get to love Jesus. We get to receive his blessings. We get to trust in him. Tim Keller, who is a fairly well-known pastor and author, made um, this note about Martin Luther, who was part of the Reformation. He said this, Luther is persistently expounded we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith which is alone. 
That is, we are saved not by anything we do, but by grace. Yet if we have truly understood and believed the gospel, it will change what we do and how we live. You guys remember Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, right? You guys remember the greatest commandment is what? What's the greatest commandment? Somebody help me out. I know you guys know this. If you don't know this, I have failed miserably. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. And the second is like it. What's the second? To love our neighbor. See, as we love God, our love for our neighbors grows. And see, out of a love for God and a love for our neighbors, we begin to willingly let go. And guys, this is a, a time when we can get on soapboxes and I can, I can try and diagram what we should give up and what we shouldn't give up. What's right and what's wrong. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you, yes, this is good, this is great, this is ordained by God, go and do it, do it to its fullest. The reason I can't do that is this, there's, there's all sorts of, of challenges. I, I've shared this before with you guys. Um, I grew up with an alcoholic father. Um, I grew up, uh, alcoholism runs deep, on my dad's side of the family. I mean, my grandfather um, died an alcoholic. My great-grandfather died an alcoholic. And I, I'm fairly certain the list goes on and on. Uh, growing up, what appeared to be most of my childhood, which is just the way I perceive it, my parents were separated more than they were together because of my dad's alcoholism. Now, those of you who have been around before, you guys know that my dad has gotten that straightened out in his life. And my parents are together. They love the Lord. It's, it's an amazing, amazing story of transformation. It's a, in my mind, honestly, it's a modern-day miracle. But I remember in high school, I remember, I remember like swearing to myself, like, I will never be that guy. I won't do it. I remember going off to college, and it wasn't long after I got into college that I became that guy. And I would battle alcoholism throughout my 20s. Now listen, I'm, I'm, I'm wired a certain way. We can talk about liberties, right? We can talk about whether it's right or wrong to drink socially. This guy can't drink socially. I can't. I have to abstain from it. Here's, here's part of the struggle, okay, using this example. I remember getting here to Tallahassee. I remember being part of a church. I remember being in ministry, leaving the ministry, not anything bad, but, but going and just finding another career. Involved in this church. I'm young. I mean, get involved in the church softball team. And after the game, these guys are back by their trucks throwing back beer. Some of them were deacons of the church. And you know what? I already told you my struggle. My heritage. But I look back at these guys and I'm like, I'm young. 
They're mature. They're deacons. It's good for them. It must be good for me. Let me read a passage to you. You can turn there if you want to. Romans. Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, starting verse 13, says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if you, brother... For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, or by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. As the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That idea of a stumbling block... We don't always know what people struggle with, do we? We can go insane trying to, to calculate everything that we do to make sure nobody struggles or stumbles. I'm not saying that we don't do that. But, but here's the picture. When what, what Paul says there is this, as the, as the stronger brother, as the one who's maybe more advanced in Christ, for the sake of our brothers who aren't there yet, we willingly let go. We let go because we love the Lord and we love them. And we don't want something stupid like what we eat or what we drink to be a stumbling block for them. And I mean, I, I think this is a huge topic today because we want our, our rights. And guys, when it comes to issues of, of, of important doctrine like salvation, we don't bend at all. Like salvation is by grace through Christ alone. That's it. We don't bend on that. But as we get to these other things, it's not always so black and white. It's not always so clear. There's, there's gray areas. And what Paul tells us here, what we see in the, the, the church in Acts, as we see Paul here in Romans, he's like, listen, those of us who are maybe further along in our walk, we give up those things for the sake of those who are still struggling, those who are still new, those who are still looking. I, I, I was, again, reading in a commentary by John Corson over this stuff, and he was sharing. You guys may have heard the name Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a famous preacher from way back when. Well, there was another guy, Joseph Parker, who was a well-known preacher, too, at the time. The two of them, I mean, you know, got in this argument. Spurgeon got all over Parker because he would go to the theater. And then Parker got all over Spurgeon because he smoked cigars. 
Now listen, God used both these men tremendously. I mean, many, many, you know, thousands upon thousands of people have come to know the Lord through, through them. But, but nonetheless, they got in this public argument. They wouldn't let go. Years would pass by. I mean, in the later years of Spurgeon's life, one day he gets up, he, he has a newspaper, the London Times, he opens it up. There's a full-page ad for this cigar company. It says, smoke these cigars, the ones that Charles Haddon Spurgeon smokes. And he decided then and there it was time to quit. He didn't want to be a stumbling block for those people who would be coming. Here's the deal. Listen, most of us aren't Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Most of us, more than likely, won't find ourselves in a newspaper. But most of us will find ourselves on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever else comes out next week. And most of us need to take some time and consider the things that we're posting. You know, one of the great challenges, one of the things I prayed about a lot, to be if I could be completely honest, and I think we have a good church, don't get me wrong, but beginning of church, I was encouraging us to check in with Facebook, right? You know, check in, let everybody know you're at Redemption Hill Church. It helps, it's good for a good cause, right? But the other side of that, too, is as you check in, your friends and whatever else, they, they see you check in there, right? That moment right there, whether you know that or not, you are representing Redemption Hill Church. I would encourage you to remember that because as we post other things, those same people that see you checking in at Redemption Hill Church also see the other things that we post. And again, what you might be able to handle It's different for somebody else. And the unfortunate thing, I think, sometimes, again, and I'm guilty of this too, we live with this mentality that, listen, I can handle it, and if somebody has a problem with it, tough. It's their deal, not mine. But I would challenge you, if that's our mentality, and if we claim to use the Bible as our guide to find that in Scripture. See, we've been called to love. I, uh, way past time, and I could go on and on about this. I challenged our church a couple weeks ago. I think there's a slide from this, John, about what if the church could just love. That's our role in all this. But we love each other. Yeah, that's part of it. Love God is primary. Love our community, the people in it. Have this burning heart that, that, that we would go and tell people about Jesus. You know, God's, God's allowed us to be the, 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 the rescue force here on earth. We're, we're, we're the ambulance drivers, if you will, here. We live in a, a, 
a sin-plagued world. We live in a community that's dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus and they've never accepted him as their savior. Us going and just yelling at them, telling them they're wrong, telling them they're stupid, what, that, that's all nothing. The answer is us loving them. Loving them and showing them God's love. It's not our job to get them all prettied up and finished and right and all looking right, doing right and saying That's not our job. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now be mindful, they're going to be looking at us as examples. But I mean, I, 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 I pray, I pray, I pray that God is pressing us as a church. Not to just try and grow our church. This is not a numbers game. This is not a way for us to try and manipulate more people to come here. Folks, I'm more concerned about making kingdom difference than I am a ministry difference. And it's all about love. And, and, and I want us, we're going to end today reading one last passage before Seth comes back up here to sing. One of the most misinterpreted scriptures in the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of us probably have this read at our weddings. Don't feel bad. You're not a, a heretic. Um, it sounds great. It sounds like a marriage passage. But this past, Paul did not read, this isn't Paul reading this to a husband and wife that are about to get married. This, this was a passage written to the Corinthian church. This is for the church. So as we read this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as we read this, I want you to read this looking through the lens of not a husband and wife, but read this looking through a, a lens as this was written to the church. This was written to Redemption Hill Church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. 
these three. Now underline this. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Our goal at Redemption Hill is to see souls saved and lives changed. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you made a decision, or maybe you have a question or a comment, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad, C-H-A-D, at rh-church.com. If you don't have a, a regular church home, we would love for you to consider visiting us. You can go to our website, rh-church.com, or find us on Facebook for directions. Until next time.